Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the No Fluff Actionable Marketing Podcast for marketers, marketing consultants, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you'll learn how to talk to and land highly influential individuals to market your stuff. My guest today has been a serial entrepreneur for 15 years now. Uh, he's the co-founder of FreeUp, a marketplace connecting business owners with the top 1% virtual assistants, freelancers, agencies in the world. And he actually recently sold it and made some good money in the process. But he didn't uh, choose to retire and go to Bahamas just yet because he started actually a new venture called Outdoor School, which is an education platform for entrepreneurs who want to learn how to scale their business using virtual assistants. So you can see the connection there. So that's why I'm super happy to have you, Nathan Hirsch, on, on board. Welcome. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. So it's taken you a while to understand how to land big influencers for free up, right? That's one of the things you told me. So why did you want to do that in the first place? Why did you feel like it was important for you to connect to highly influential people? Yeah, it's funny because I, I still remember about a year and a half ago, someone ran into me at a conference and they, were, they said, oh my God, I've heard you on a podcast. How did you become such a good marketer? And in my head, I've never really looked at myself as a marketer. I mean, I came from the Amazon space. I did Amazon for seven, eight years. There was really no marketing there. There wasn't even Amazon ads when, when I started on Amazon. So I didn't have to grow a brand. And when I started on FreeUp, I had no idea what marketing was. I had no idea how to run ads, get influencers, do content swaps. I didn't even know what backlinks were. So I really learned everything from scratch. And it kind of came to the basic idea of, hey, I'm not a risky person. I know that sounds weird as an entrepreneur, but I'm not one to dump $20,000 into ads or $50,000 into a sponsorship. I, I was going to take small calculated risks that hopefully had a big return. So one of the lowest hanging fruits was, Find people that have your audience and figure out a way to work with them. And that's really the basic for organic marketing. And then it just comes down to how you want to go about it. And one of the best ways is working with influencers because when when you have someone who's not only promoting you, but putting their name behind you, and they've already spent a lot of time establishing their name, establishing their presence, that gives you a huge head start over all your competitors and all the other service providers out there, especially in a space where there were the upworks of the world, there were the fibers of the world. So if I could, in my mind, if I could get the influencers to point the direction towards free up and not towards them, that was a huge advantage I had as a small business. And but how do you come up with the idea? Like, was it just in your head that made just sense? It was natural, or was it from somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, every idea in my head is really trial or a trial and error. That's really my mentality as an entrepreneur. I very rarely do I create like two or five or ten year plans. It's hey, here here are some things I think will work in my head will work, and let's throw them against the wall and see what happens. And I get rejected a lot. I, I kind of compare it to I'm getting into real estate now. I want to become a real estate investor. Well, I put in my first deal yesterday and I got rejected. That was my first experience into real estate. And my first experience going into influencers was the same way as I was going to reach out to as many influencers as I possibly could that I felt had my target audience. And if the, at the end of the day that failed, I'll tweak it, I'll tweak it. And if it's just not working, I'll move and direct my attention towards someone else. So it was more of a trial and error experiment than some master plan. Gotcha. So there's one thing to say first before we move on to something else. A lot of people seem to make you believe, you know, make people believe that influencer marketing is something completely new, you know? 
that it's only happened in the last five years in Instagram and, and whatnot. While that's actually not the case whatsoever, right? I mean, let's, let's, let's be straight. Reaching out to people, exactly as you described, reaching out to people who have an audience that you share, like that is, is kind of in line with, with yours, uh, who have a bigger audience than you, to promote your stuff, to vouch for you, to endorse you, is not new. It happens in politics uh, since like politics was even started. So I just wanted to say that because you know a lot of people would think it's, it's a new thing. It's not. And it relies on just normal psychology, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it is, like you said, it's the very basics of being an entrepreneur. And I feel like people go into, into business and they're like, oh, I need this big ad budget. Well, FreeUp did $12 million in sales in 2019. And we spent $1,000 a month on ads. And that was strictly retargeting. So we were figuring out how do we organically get in front of other people's audiences and point the traffic back to us. And it's very much a long game over a big game. Even now when I'm doing it with Outsource School, I'm not waking up every day and going, boom, like Outsource School, Outsource School, Outsource School to the world. It's small things that we can do to chip away, to improve our SEO rank, to get another group of target customers, to build a relationship with another influencer, and to put ourselves in a place that, that's very evergreen, where our link is going to be in someone else's course. And every time someone buys that course, they're going to come across our link going forward. So we don't find ourselves just doing, let's say, one-off Facebook lives that in uh, six months, no one's ever going to see again because they're just buried so far below. You're getting into a place where you're front and center to someone's audience over and over and over again. And that's really the goal. All right. So before we go into like a step by step on how you like from what you've learned, how would you do it again? And how do you do it? I know you have kind of a method that you've developed. Why do you think so many people struggle with it? Like, why do you think so many entrepreneurs and marketers struggle with this? Like, how do how the fuck do I reach out to those highly influential people? You know, why is it such a struggle for people? I think the first thing is rejection. People are scared of getting rejected, where in my mind, if I'm getting rejected every day, every week. If a week goes by and I'm not getting rejected, then I didn't go out hard enough. I didn't contact enough people. I didn't put myself out there. I didn't take enough risk. And I've had people where it took me two years to just get on the phone with them and finally build a relationship. But I didn't just give up the second that they said no. I continued to follow up. I stayed respectful. I didn't get aggressive or angry or how dare they not talk to Nathan Hurst. Like that wasn't my my attitude at all. It was, hey, you're an entrepreneur. You're an influencer. I understand you're busy. It's up to me to prove that I'm going to build value to your audience. It's it's not all about me. It's, hey, how, how can I add value? How can I bring something to the audience that will actually benefit them and at the same time make you look good? Because that's what they really care about. That's what the big influencers care about is protecting their integrity, their name, their image. They spent a lot of time building this community, and they're kind of like the gatekeepers there. They don't want to let someone else in there who could possibly destroy or disrupt it. So having the right mentality is key. I think having some fundamental referral or affiliate program is key. And a lot of people say they have a referral program or say they have an affiliate program, but it's not really out there. It's not clear on their site. It's not, let's say, clean and easy for someone to understand and, and understand and remember. If you ask anyone out there what the free up referral program is, it's 50 cents for every hour that we build with someone that comes from you forever. It's clean. It's simple. It adds up over time. We paid out $250,000 last year in affiliate money. 
So when I'm going to an influencer, not only do I have an affiliate program, but I have a page that explains it. I have I have a track record of, hey, we paid out X amount this year. This is how it works. We have a software that runs it. So I'm trying to make it as easy as possible for that influencer. This is how I'm going to add value to your community. I make it clear, hey, I care about your reputation. I'm going to make sure that you're actually that I'm actually going to take care of them. And I have that fallback, really solid program that they're going to get that kickback from. And I think a lot of people fail when they're setting that up because they might say it here or there. But with free up, we're mentioning on every phone call it's at the bottom of every website. And we're trying to get it out there as much as possible. And it's consistent across the board. So afraid of being rejected, not keeping things simple enough for like the, the actual the actual influencer or influential people to be to get something in return. Is there anything else people struggle with? Probably just the research phase of it, fi- figuring out an influencer that, that actually makes sense for them. Um, I, I think everyone wants to work with Gary V, right? Like what, what would happen if Gary V promoted my business? But that's like a tier one influencer. If you want to work with the tier one influencers, you got to work with the tier twos. You got to work with the tier threes. You got to work with the tier four. So figure out who are those tier four to six influencers that you can target and establish relationship. And they're almost kind of good to test everything you have on because I can promise you if the tier five influencer thinks your affiliate program is terrible and they're not responding to your emails. Like you, you don't have a chance kind of moving up that ladder. And that's kind of what we did. And you kind of have to do that in every single space. So Gary Vee's, I'll put him in the marketing space, although he's kind of entrepreneurship, Russell Russell um, from ClickFunnels at the top there too. But in e-commerce, we were able to make it up to that tier one influencer, but we started off with just the Amazon software companies, the smaller ones. And then we moved into the Amazon bloggers, which we thought was a step above. And we slowly chipped our way up there. And the cool thing is it kind of leads to each other because a lot of these tier people that they know each other and you'll kind of slowly move up the ranks there. So I think starting at the right place, not going after the tier ones from the beginning and and establishing and testing on those lower tiers, building a strong relationships where it's not just about you and then working your way up the tier in the industry or multiple industries that you're targeting is the other place that people go wrong. I'm happy to tell you that I'm actually a tier seven influencer. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm I've always wondered what tier I am. I'm definitely I'm not a, tier one, but hopefully I'm somewhere in that two to five mix. I'm a mini micro. What's before micro in the in the metric uh, scale? Like the b- nano. I'm a nano. Yeah, I'm a micro nano influencer. Um, that's, that's the that's other thing that, that people get wrong. They're, they kind of skip over the, the nano and the micro. But sometimes those are great influencers because they might have a thousand people that follow them. But those thousand people love them. They have a personal relationship with them. They buy from them. If you can build a, a lot of relationships with the micro and the nano influencers, you can build a business around that. Yeah, and that's what is interesting, and I think that's what's happening more and more. The internet 10 years ago was like this huge, wide, open space where everyone would get in the same place. Like, you know, the social network site went online, a lot of people used it. And now it seems like more and more we're going towards a more siloed, private community approach because people are sick of getting a lot of stuff like they really want to get their stuff with their people and so I, I suspect that it's going to be more and more difficult to find a influencer that touches so many people and as you said it's probably going to be more about connecting with people who have smaller audience but highly engaged because they give a shit about what this influencer or this just this person has to say really so let's talk about what you started to like mention let's talk about the actual method the the way you would recommend someone who's starting out so very much like you were in this position four years ago, right? Or five years ago with FreeUp when you started out. No one knew you, no one knew FreeUp. 
you have to get your way into there. So I just want to mention something before we start. Um, if you want to learn more about influencer marketing, we've recorded two episodes before. So episode 75 with Tyler Farnworth and episode 117 with Melinda Bailey, where we talk about different sides of this type of marketing. Uh, but I'm pretty sure you have a lot more uh, stuff to add to this. So let's get in. So let's say we are creating, we have a company, we are either a marketer, a founder, an entrepreneur. We have something that is good enough, it's a good product already, but yeah, we want to get in front of other people's audience. How do you go about it? What is the number one step, the first step? Yeah, so when I say to have an influencer marketing plan, yes, it's the top guys, it's the small guys, it's even just a client that might, they might have a, I'll say a big mouth for lack of a better word, but they'll go to conferences, they'll talk about you, they'll tell their friends, they go to meetups. So you, you're really kind of targeting all of them at the same time. And the way that we go about it is, the first, one part is podcasts, one part of it is content swaps, and I'll dive into each one. One part of it is the actual influencer trying to get an influencer to, to promote you. And the other side, which I'm blanking on right now, is the oh the affiliate program, the referral program, which we kind of talked about. So the, let's start with podcasts. Podcasts are just a great way to, yes, connect with influencers because a lot of influencers run podcasts. But it's a great way to network and get to know different entrepreneurs that are in your space. If you're running a marketing agency, you should be trying to go on marketing podcasts all the time. Chances are those people are well-known in the marketing space. They know other marketing agencies. They have an audience of people who need marketing. So just building that relationship is a key place that people mess up when they're going on podcasts. A lot of people, they'll show up, they'll record, they'll leave, and, and that's the end of that. And they're like, oh, I accomplished my goal. I got in front of my audience. Well, you miss the whole relationship side in it. And that's what's going to bring you going forward and lead to other connections. Other things that people don't think of is the backlinks. I mean, just getting, being able to go on a podcast and, and have your link out there is only going to help your domain presence, your SEO going forward. Other things on podcasts is leading to those content partnerships. So I've been on podcasts where at the end, we'll have a conversation and we establish a more long-term relationship. So with content swaps, you want to set it up so it's very organized. And what we like to do is once every quarter, we'll make it easy for them. We'll keep track of it. We'll reach out to them and say, hey, what do you want to do together this quarter? And if they're too busy, then no big deal. We'll follow up again. If if stuff's going really well and it's helping them and it's helping us, let's do more than once a quarter. Or maybe if someone's smaller, you schedule it out so it's once a year, once a half year, depending on what you can handle. But figure out something that, that's reoccurring. And that could be a blog swap. You write a guest post to them. They write a guest post to you. It could be a podcast. It could be a YouTube video. It could be a promotion in a newsletter. Those are very popular. It's very easy for us to, to put someone else in our newsletter and say, hey, check out our partner and, and vice versa. So podcast to relationship. We talked a little bit about those influencers and reaching out to them and trying to establish almost more of a, an affiliate arrangement where they're constantly promoting you and they're pushing you out, mentioning you in webinars and, and stuff like that. And and then that referral program that, that I mentioned you should have a base for, but you need to be telling every single person at the end of every sales call, every client call, oh, by the way, we have this referral program. This is what it is. Get people to remember, get people to talk about it. And when you have a business that you're constantly establishing those four things, getting on podcasts consistently, getting in front of other people's audience audiences, establishing partnerships that are ongoing, different content swaps that are benefiting both parties, We're slowly chipping your way up that tier influencer list, like we mentioned before, and a referral program that's actually converting that people like that becomes a basis for just your clients, for micro influencers, for even podcast hosts. All four of those things together is a very powerful way to grow your business. So let's let's start with podcasts. And thanks for mentioning like the the overall arching uh, strategy. So 
how do you even select podcasts in the first place, right? Like, let's start with that. Like, why? How do you know this is a good one to reach out to? And then we'll talk about how to reach out to them and all of that. Yeah. So I like to come up with basic metrics of podcasts that we want to be on. And and at the beginning, honestly, some of those metrics go out the window. You just want to be on as many podcasts as you possibly can. It's good practice. It's it's good building up. And you never know, they might work out as you, your schedule gets booked and booked more. Um, as you, you become busier, your business grows, maybe you become a little bit more picky on what podcast you come up with, but you can say, Hey, they have to have a hundred views on iTunes. They have to have X amount of likes on, on social media. What They have to have X amount of downloads per month. So you can set your own standards there and, and do research. And, and obviously, I'm a big proponent of hiring a virtual assistant, but you can hire, we've hired podcast agencies before who will go out and pitch podcasts for us. And we'll give them baselines. Like we only want you guys to focus on this level and hire. And then we'll have VAs and maybe our own researchers first handle the stuff that's here and lower. From there, you kind of need a plan. I mean, no one wants you to go on a podcast and just brag about yourself and sell your company for 30 minutes to an hour. You need to establish, hey, here are some stories that, that I can tell. Here are some ups and some downs I had as an entrepreneur. It wasn't just straight up because no one has kind of had that straight up adventure. Um, and what is my plan for actually reaching out to them? And what are some tweaks from there? So I like to make it as easy as possible for someone to find out if I'm a good fit for their podcast. I have a podcast pitch that goes over, hey, here are my core topics. Here's my core story. Here's a little bit about me. And super respectful, understanding that they get tons of pitching every pitches every single day. Once they actually respond to that and you're interested, you want to work around their schedule, again, making it as easy as them. Before the podcast, a lot of times I'll send over a list of questions. I, I didn't do it for this one because I knew that you already knew uh, what direction we were going in. But again, making it as easy for the podcast host to be like, hey, here are topics, here are questions. Feel free to ask your own, but here are some good ones. And then after the podcast, hey, here are my show notes, canned email. Here are my links. Again, making it as easy as possible for the person. So really turning the whole podcast pitching structure into, into a, a standard process of your business that you're doing every single day, every single week. Um, yeah, and I, I think this is why this podcast is a bit different because, yeah, I, I know some guests some people, so if, if you're listening to this right now and don't have a podcast, you probably don't know this, but behind the scenes, what happens, you have a lot of people reaching out, wanting to be a guest on the podcast. And what happens is usually what you describe, right? A pitch, make it super simple. But then you have this list of questions, you know? And every time I see this list of questions, I'm like, shit, if I actually accept this guest, I'm going to ask, and if I ask the same question, my podcast is going to sound like everyone else, right? right? So... I mean, this is also what you need to be careful of from the perspective of a podcaster is, is making sure that you try to have your own angle or else you just turn into like interviewing the same guests than everyone else with the same type of question than everyone else. I mean, for you, it's great, right? Right. But for the podcasters, it's like, I think they're losing a bit. So yeah, that's why I try to, to keep to one topic. And this is why we talked about influencer marketing. And usually I don't have, I don't send questions in advance apart from one or two, but I especially don't accept guest questions for the same reason. But I very much like this idea of keeping things super simple. So as you said, a summary, like, you know, who you are, your story. And you mentioned the world story, and this is important, right? So for me, I would personally connect way more with someone who tells me a, a real story of someone who struggled to found a few, like who did a few mistakes, instead of someone who just presents himself or herself as a very, like, I'm the shit I'm the, like, I'm uh, one of the Forbes under 30, 
you know, I like just everything is so good. It's like, yeah, that sounds a bit too good to be true, you know? So as you said, one summary pitch that is real based on the story. And then what you said after, so you do the interview, obviously you're being nice and all, but at the end, you actually would send them show notes. So tell me more about this. Yeah, so it's an email with a, a nice thank you, like really appreciate you having me on, uh, whatever. And then underneath that, it's to make it easy for you. I've attached my headshot. Here are my social media links. Here's a, my bio in case you didn't have it before. Here's a, about my company or, or your, a lot of times we'll create a landing page for them. Um, we haven't gotten that far in outsource school yet, but we did that a lot with FreeUp where um, we'll say, hey, you can direct people to freeup.com slash the podcast host name or the podcast name. And 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 that's where we would mention our affiliate program too. Oh, by the way, you get 50 cents for every hour that we build to them forever. Here's how you quickly and easily create a link and we'll put it in that page and, and you'll be good to go. So setting that up to even make money on your business and hopefully think about you going forward because that podcast host is going to interview lots of different entrepreneurs and they might be talking to an entrepreneur that says, Hey, I'm struggling hiring right now. And they'll say, Oh, I had Nate on and here's a, a page, go check out free up. So it all kind of goes hand in hand, creating that system where people can constantly throw people back to your company very easily. You're making it easier for them and you're constantly chipping your way up that tier influencer list. And one last thing here, podcast kind of goes the same way as the tiers. You've got your tier one podcast and 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 obviously people that are just starting out and, and you're working your way up. Well, you can use podcasts to build up to those higher tiers. When when I'm pitching bigger podcasts, I mention, hey, I've been on Mixergy. I've been on um, Entrepreneur on Fire. I, I won't name drop to the extreme, but I'll put in, hey, here are some ones that related to you that will help me kind of get there to the next level instead of, hey, I'm Joe. I appeared out of nowhere. I'm running a business. Have me on, my, uh, on your podcast. Podcast. It, it's all about slowly improving your conversions over time. Yeah, and, and people need to remember that no one really gives a shit, a shit about them. And I don't mean that in a bad way, right? I mean that very respectfully, meaning like no one is likely has, has heard from you uh, if you're only starting out. So don't expect, like as you said, tier one, tier two people or podcast or whatever else to reply. You need to build your way up. Like, do you have a friend that has a podcast? Be on there. And then this friend might know someone else. And just be patient with it, right? I think. What I can already, I mean, figure out from you, just talking to you, reading about you a bit, is that you're a patient guy, right? You're someone who's willing to put time and effort into something, build relationship the long term. And that's what it takes to do this properly, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm actually not a patient guy, which is funny. I'm very impatient. In business, maybe. But yeah, in business, I, I'm more than willing to kind of chip away at things little by little. I understand that, hey, I, what can I accomplish today that actually moves me closer towards the end goal? Another kind of idea off of that is networking. And it all kind of goes hand in hand. One of the things that, that I like to do every single week is reach out to three new entrepreneurs and network with them. I'm not selling them. I'm not pitching them. I'm learning what they're doing, telling them what I'm doing. If there's some way to work together or help each other, I'm all about it. If not, I, I like knowing other people in the space. And you can use networking to to all levels. If you're going after influencers and this influencer is rejecting you or this influencer is, is not responding, well, my three entrepreneurs for that week are probably going to be people that are in a, that maybe that influencer follows on Instagram or Facebook. So I'm kind of networking around the influencer. And the same thing goes on podcasts. I've had podcasts that I really wanted to go on to. I'll listen to podcasts and it, sometimes I'll listen to them. I'm like, oh, I know that guy. <laughs> we've, we've connected. And Boom, that's my end to get closer to the podcast. Or 
my three networks for the day might be the guests that were on that podcast. And I don't reach out to them being like, oh, hey, I heard you on the podcast. Can you get me on? I reach out to them to build a legit relationship, add value to them, hopefully help their business. And six months later, when I'm going to try to get on that podcast again, because I'm constantly trying to get on ones that I've been rejected on, I have a little bit more of an in, or maybe I've established a relationship with a few more people that can help me push a little bit farther to actually getting on. So before we move on to the other methods that are all like interconnected with each other, right? You started with the podcast, but you could have mentioned like content swap first. What's your system to keep track of everything, right? And don't tell me it's all in your head. <laughs> Not all in my head. Um, we use Pipedrive and we use Google Docs. Uh, those, those are really pretty basic. Um, my thing to do is I have a VA that organizes all of it. I, I create a process. I let them own the process. They're 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 monitoring my inbox. If if I have a phone call with a podcast person, I'm telling them how that call went, and they're keeping track of all of that in a very organized system, so that I don't really have to. Anything that's tedious manual follow up work, I almost always outsource to a virtual assistant. So how do you do it? Let's dig into this process a bit before we go on to content search. Yeah. So I start with teaching a VA how to research a podcast. So what are they looking for? They're looking for reviews. They're looking for the domain presence of their website. They're looking for um, their social media presence and then any other information about the person, what industry they're in, what their audience is like. Do they have a Facebook group? Are there 500 people in that group? Are there 100,000 people in that group? So to actually understand what that person is, and then I also teach them to be able to figure out if I've already been on the podcast, because if I'm hiring a VA and I've in my life, I've been on 200 plus podcasts, I don't want to reach out to people I've already been on their podcast. So that's the baseline is teach them how to research, teach them how to understand which ones you've already been on. And then I usually have them submit a certain amount to me per day. So I like to wake up to stuff on my desk and they'll on my desk is figuratively they're emailing it to me, but I'll run through this list and, and some of the names I might know. And I might be like, oh, wow, Roland Frazier, he's a, a, a tier one influencer. I'm not ready for that yet. Like, let's put that in the back pocket or, hey, I actually know this guy through blah, blah, blah. I didn't know he had a podcast. I'll go reach out to him. Or I'll say, hey, these 10 that you sent me today, and, and I like to establish a number, a hard number. Hey, you're sending me 10 every morning by 7 a.m. Eastern time or 15 or whatever that number is. I'll say, hey, I want you to pitch these five with this pitch, these five with this pitch, do a little split testing on pitches that are very similar, but but slightly different and go from there. And then record once we get those emails back, they'll check in and actually go and record. Hey, this was a response. Oh, we got Nate on. Oh, a week later, this guy hasn't responded yet. Let's send one follow up or hey, this guy rejected us. Let's set a reminder to follow up in six months. And that would be so your VA would send emails on your behalf. Yes. Uh, so either that or they'll set up what uh, I use yet another mail merge. So they'll set up the mail merge and I'll just review it and click the send button. So technically it's me sending it, but I, I don't like VAs to pretend to be me for 99% of the time. They don't do that. Um, so they're really just setting everything up so I can just review and send. Yeah. And this is why I was asking you the question, right? I wouldn't like it either. Um, but so yet another mail merge is a, is a program that allows you to do what's called a mail merge. If you don't know what's a, what a mail merge is, it's a way to, it's between, I would say, between a, a sending an email to one person and a sending a newsletter via MailChimp. It's like, it basically sends one email at a time to a certain number of people. It sends them individually, but it sends them in a batch and each email is sent separately, like every minute, every five minutes or whatever. But like, you can't really abuse that stuff. Some people abuse that stuff. They get, they get banned pretty quickly or like their uh, email uh, domain gets banned pretty quickly. 
so typically Gmail, I think, allows you to send what? I think it's 100 or 200 a day. Yeah, and I Max. do not recommend pitching 100 podcasts a day. No. We're talking in no. the 5 to 15 range that I know are going to go down well or, or have a good opportunity yeah. for success. And the other side of it is I mentioned that I hire bigger name PR companies or podcast companies to get me on podcasts. Usually I pay 200 to $500 per podcast. Sometimes you have to buy in books. Sometimes you don't. But again, I'm keeping them. If I'm going to pay for them, I don't want them to get me on this brand new podcast that just came out. I want them to get me on higher level ones that hopefully they have a connection with, they have an in with that I don't have. So then it becomes, how do I make sure that both these people aren't pitching the same people and making sure that the VA is re reviewing the list of this person and checking off each one before we give them the go ahead to make the pitch on the bigger podcast. Nice. Pretty nice. I think this system can be applied to other stuff. So we're talking about podcast here. And it, we are recording this episode in 2020. I'm thinking like in 2030, will this be relevant? Yes. Maybe it's not fucking podcast. Maybe it's TikTok uh, video live or whatever it is. I don't care really about the channel. What matters is podcast is a nice way to rant someone else's audience in a sense, right? Like this episode is like people hear it. People hear about you. Uh, you'll be exposed to like marketers, marketing service providers and all of that. And it's just, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a, a swap in terms of me getting good content and you uh, getting exposed to the audience. But again, that could be applied to any other type of channels, right? Yeah. And let's flip this too, because the last year of free up, I created my own podcast, the outsourcing and scaling show, which they're going to continue to run. I'm no longer the host, but I, I'm a big proponent of create a business before you create a podcast. I could have created a podcast on day one, but for the first two, three years of free up, I wanted to build free up before I was spending my time on a podcast every week. That's more of my personal preference, not necessarily how anyone needs to go about it. But what having your own podcast allows you to do, and, and I've seen this a million times, is Get, get people to talk to you that otherwise wouldn't. Because if I'm going to an influencer and I'm like, hey, let me tell you about free up, let me network. A lot of times they're just like, no. But if I'm like, hey, I have a podcast, I think you'll be a great guest for it. A lot of times you'll have an in. And I actually had an influencer who's an awesome person. I respect her a ton as an entrepreneur, nothing bad to say about her, but she rejected me. And not only did she reject me, but she, she pretty much said, don't contact me again, which for me, I take seriously because usually when I get rejected, I can follow up again in six months. So this one kind of stood out. Well, I launched a podcast and I posted on social media that I had a podcast. Well, guess who messages me saying, hey, I'd love to be a guest in her podcast. She does. And, and she comes on and we build a relationship and, and we did content swaps going forward. So it's almost like getting on podcasts is great. And that'll help you get in front of a lot of communities. But if you have your own podcast to have people on and assuming you're doing a good job and you're growing it and all of that, that kind of adds you that extra little in where if someone's a little bit harder to land, if if someone isn't going to go for what's working with everyone else, you know, have in your back pocket, hey, I'd love to have you on. And a lot of times that'll lead to a swap where you now go on their podcast. Yeah, uh, uh, it's a reciprocity kind of rule, right? So in, in when you when you struggle to reach out to someone out of the blue, it's mostly because you expect a lot from them and you don't give out too much in return. Well, right. podcast, it's almost 50-50, right? If you have a nice audience, people are likely to come here because they know they'd be exposed to the audience and you get to build a relationship and get good content from them. So podcast, one thing, thanks for going into that. Mention a few times the word, uh, the word content swap. Um, define that for me. Yeah. So this is the, the key about content swaps. 
you want to have a few different ways that you can do content swaps. They don't always have to be my way. I like to do blog swaps because my companies tend to have a blog, YouTube channel because we do videos, podcasts is another one, newsletter is an easy one if you have a newsletter every week, but other people take it crazier with, with content swaps, like with courses and all sorts of different stuff. But establish a baseline and, and be realistic about what you and your team can actually handle. If you're doing $20,000 a month in top line revenue and you have a two-person team, are you really going to commit to all these different channels ongoing and building up with 100 partners and having to do content swaps for them every single week? Probably not. So figure out what's realistic. We have X amount of channels. This is what we. This is the amount of content we can consistently put out there that'll still be high quality. If we put out three blog articles a week. Well, okay. I can't go and tell 200 partners. I'll, I'll put their blog in my blog or their guest post in my post. It has to be somewhat realistic. So establish what you have, establish what your team can handle, and then find people that these aren't necessarily influencers, but these are companies that have the same audience, but do something completely different than you. They're not competitors. So for FreeUp, for example, we were a marketplace for, we are a marketplace for virtual assistants and freelancers. We would find an Amazon software company. We worked with a lot of Amazon sellers. So getting their software in front of my audience doesn't hurt FreeUp at all. And getting FreeUp in front of their audience doesn't hurt them at all. So it's a great way to be mutually beneficial. And then it's establishing what's easiest for them. Well, for well, easy for them is, hey, we're going to take control. We're going to organize it. We're the VA people. We're going to have a system and process where every quarter, every 60, uh, six months, whatever we agree to, we're going to reach out to you and say, hey, it's time for the content swap again. Let, let's quickly come up with something that's easy and good for you and not putting the, the burden on them to reach out to you or, or remind you or anything like that. So establish what you can actually handle, what kind of content it's going to be. Do research on what those partners are. Reach out to them. Make it easy for them. And then make sure the content, the content that you're putting out there is actually good content. I remember when we first did this, we got feedback from someone that our blog posts were, were too salesy. They didn't add that much value. Well, that was great feedback for us. As a, as a new person trying to build a brand, I made sure that no blog post going forward was like that. So make sure that you're communicating with them and that you're getting feedback and that the relationship is continuing continuing to benefit both parties. And over time, we were working with over 200 partners that were constantly putting our stuff in front of their audience. We were constantly putting their stuff in front of our audience in a non-salesy value-added way. And that led to a lot of great relationships and really being well-known and respected in the space. Because if I'm going after the e-commerce industry and I work with all these different e-commerce providers and, and businesses, well, that looks a lot better than someone who might do the same exact thing as FreeUp, but they don't work with any of these partners. My, my issue with content swaps, right, in general, is it's difficult to protect the brand. Um, and here's what I'm like, I'm just taking this example of like, let's say my podcast, right? Which is like, as you, as you, as you can guess from the name is a bit out there. I, I like to have a, like a strong positioning. And so it wouldn't make any sense for me, like to, let's say to partner up with a company that just does shitty sm uh, spammy marketing and then publish a blog post on my side that just, it will devalue my brand. Right. So I would understand that I need to make sure that I kind of, select the people and the companies that are do good quality stuff that align with your value. But then here's the, here's the issue that I start to see is once you have a relationship going and whatever, it might become difficult to say no, because if you say no to them, then they're going to say no to you in a sense, like, you know, it's a quick pro, quick pro crow. And 
I always feel that the value, the quality kind of goes down as you go because you just, you know, let's just, whatever, like let's publish this guest post because we'll get in front of their audience. So our standards are a bit low. So how do you deal with this? Yeah, fantastic point. So one of the best things we did, let's just take blogs, for example, and we do the same thing with videos, podcasts, is we have a list of standards. It's on our website and we we establish upfront what the, the expectations are. You obviously run your, your brand is different than my brand. My brand for free up and even for outsource school and my brand in general is not really swearing, not really being aggressive or political. <laughs> like that's just the brand that, that I built. And so- for me, like in our guidelines, it's like, hey, we don't want swear words. We don't want that kind of aggression in, in our in our posts. And if someone submitted it, I had a, a team that would review everything and we weren't we weren't mean about it, but we would send it back to them and be like, hey, it's not hitting these guidelines. Like it, it's we want all of our posts across the board to be hitting them. Can you guys revise them? And if I agree that once you start going down that path, it's really hard to pull it back. But the key is you set those guidelines up front and and keep them ongoing. And if someone is breaking them or not following them, you stop it right there, fix it and only then move forward. And if you notice, like any of the big partners that we work with, they send us those guidelines. Like they're not going to take our, our crummy little blog article that has nothing to do with anything and put it on their site. They and I've had plenty of people reject our blog articles and have that have us redo them, and and that's okay. They've got a guideline, they've got a brand to to upheld. So I I agree that setting those standards and holding people to them, whatever your brand is, whatever you're trying to do with that particular content method, is extremely important. I'll try not to swear that much in the last. No, it's not that I hate swearing. It's just that, and I do in my personal life. It's just you won't, you'll never see me on a podcast just like dropping the F bar, Bob. I'm messing with you. So, yeah. I know. (laughs) Let's, let's, so if we go to the other step, which is okay, we partner up on whatever. What if your partner is caught into some shady stuff or like their brand is being devalued a lot because their CEO did something stupid? You know, how do you do, how do you deal with that then when you have like let's say fifteen guest blog posts from them in your blog? Yeah, and I never really had this happen, so I might not be the best person to speak on this. I, I kind of handle everything with, with honesty and transparency. That's that's part of my brand. So if if theoretically someone we had been working with for the past two years did get caught up on that and it was known in the industry, I would probably address it to the community and be like, hey, hey guys, we've ended this partnership, or hey, we're we're at least gonna put a hold on this partnership until stuff clears up and more information gets out there. And I'd probably take the approach to review those past 15 blog articles. If, if those 15 blog articles added a ton of value and, and they were fine, maybe some way we're leaving them there. If not, maybe I'm pulling them off and I let that company know and I give them a chance to pull off our stuff if they want to. And to me, although that might hurt short term, it's going to help you a lot more long term. And, and that's kind of how I would approach any situation. I mean, on free up and this didn't happen often, but if there was a, a freelancer that had a bunch of issues and I knew that they were getting complaints and they had five clients left, I wasn't going to wait for those five clients to complain. I was going to reach out to them and say, Hey, how's it going with that freelancer? I just want you to know, these are some of the issues you're having. I, I have your back. What can I do to make it right? Do you want to keep working with them? Do you want us to remove that person and get you someone else and get you some credit or refund you, whatever it takes. And I feel like in business, if you just take that proactive approach, I, things always tend to work out in the long term even if it's slightly damaging in the short term. So give me some examples of content swaps. So I mentioned blog posts a lot, but like what other ways can you be kind of partnering up with others? 
Uh, joint webinars is another one. That's not something that I did a ton of, but there, there's plenty of people that are selling their courses and, and they're they're trying to promote this webinar. So if they have this webinar coming up on, on Friday, you can either promote it to your audience or I've done it where I've been on the webinar with them and half the webinar is their business, half the webinar is our business. We will join them together and try to get as many people in as possible. Another one that I think people should do more of is networking events after conferences. So I think we're in a time where think about how many conferences there are. Conferences are expensive. They're expensive to sponsor. They're even expensive to go to. And a lot of times, if you're someone like me, you get kind of overwhelmed at a conference. There's thousands of people and and you're trying to figure out who, who do I spend the time on, which is a tough decision. So instead of focusing on that, focus on the networking party. So what I've done is we'll reach out to our partners. We did this with Cubana, with Helium 10, who are big Amazon software companies. And we said, hey, let's combine together and do a a three-person meetup or a two-person or or two, I should say, company meetup where I'm going to blast out my list. Hey, you guys are at Prosper, this Amazon conference in Vegas. You guys all get a free ticket to our after party. Same thing. They do it to their list. It's posted all over social media. Three companies that are not competitors, but they're in the same space. They're partners coming together. At the end of the conference, it's seven o'clock at night. At seven thirty, we're meeting at this bar. All you can eat, all you can drink. It's even cheaper than a sponsorship. You get two hundred or four hundred of probably your best or biggest clients there, along with hey, let's invite some influencers. We know that these tier one influencers, tier two, tier three, are all going to be at the conference. Let's reach out to them and say, hey, by the way, we're having this after party. Here's a free ticket for you if you want to come. So you've kind of combined everything with now the factor of meeting in person in this exclusive event that you're hosting, that you have, you're kind of own and have the power for, and you get them all there. And that's been an incredibly effective tool if you're doing that every single quarter at some of the biggest conferences in your industry. Good idea. That's a nice one. I haven't heard of it before. I mean, I've seen it happen, but I didn't think about it this way. So that's nice. So blog posts, webinars, uh, doing a after party, after after event type of uh, type of thing. It doesn't have to be unlimited drinks or unlimited food. Like you can be quite creative. Uh, anything else? Yeah. So we live in the age of courses, right? Outsource School is launching a course on how to use VAs. Other will partner with courses that do different stuff. So let's say someone is running a course on Facebook ads. They're promoting it. That's their business. I'm running a course on VAs. Well, why don't I talk to them and partner with them and I'll create a five minute or 10 minute part of their course for them on how to use VAs for Facebook ads. For them, it's beneficial, right? They're getting this, hopefully people look at me as an expert when it comes to VAs, hopefully I'm dropping good information and high value stuff, but they're getting a free piece of content just theirs that they get to put in their course and add value to their course that they're offering. And for me, I'm now in their course forever. People are gonna, I'm gonna have a little link back. They, they, they just spent value and they're getting me and my brand or my business that stays with people. It's evergreen. It's always there. And stuff like that is incredibly mutually beneficial. So anything that you can do to get in someone else's program um, for the long term that actually adds value to them and the people buying their product is, is also a big win. I'm sure you have another one. So go on. <laughs> Obviously, YouTube videos are, are the easiest ones. I think we live in the era of podcasts, but let's not forget about YouTube. I love just making YouTube videos with people. They can be short. They can be five to 15 minutes. They can be back and forth. They don't always have to be interview style. And and a lot of times, like, like let's say Scubana was a good free up partner. We'll do a, a YouTube video with Scubana and we'll talk about their software. We'll talk about VAs using their software. It all kinds of, it kind of comes together. So people watching it are like, hey, here are two big people in the space working 
working together. I can rely on them. I can trust them. Oh, and I can buy both their products and put it together and then have some synergy there. And I'm getting to actually view them and see them talking and see them building a relationship. And they get to kind of know me at a higher level. Some podcasts do video, but for the most part, podcasts are audio. So kind of not forgetting about that video component and being able to get in front and talk to someone and have them see what you look like and how you act, I think is an important part of building a brand and also getting in front of other influencers. If you have a YouTube channel that this video has 25,000 views, when you reach out to the influencer be like, and you want to get on their podcast, oh, by the way, check this out. Or, hey, would you like to come on my YouTube channel? Because I've got 50,000 subscribers on my channel and I'd love to get you in front of that audience. So you see, I knew you had you had another one. Um, so you YouTube, yeah. And instead of just doing interviews, you said like you can actually do be a bit more creative in the format, right? You can get together in the same room and explain like how those two software work together, or how those two courses complement each other. Talk about your life story, or you can even do a, a sort of a you know, as you mentioned for webinars, five minutes, five minutes, a part of the same video. So there's plenty of ways you can do it. So like podcast, YouTube webinars, uh, after events, blog posts. I think we've covered. The biggest one. What is the biggest mistake people make with content swaps, you think, like when, when it comes to partner up this way and exchange content? I think over committing is probably the biggest one because it, it's so easy to be like, oh, I'm going to partner with all these people and I'm going to do w- one piece of content every month. Well, that can be very distracting from your business. So you have to understand what you can actually handle, what your team can actually handle, what makes sense from an expense point of view. And you need some way to track those metrics. If you're working with a partner for two years and you're spending money at every single month putting out content for them and you're not getting any sales, any customers, no one's even clicking on the link, you might need to restructure or refigure out that partnership. So really understanding everything from the front to the back and not just going blindly, I want to partner with everyone. And obviously the research component is key as well. So, and obviously you have VAs there to help you with this research side, right? Teaching VAs how to be good at research is one of the best things that you can do. Research is time consuming. You have to do it all the time as an entrepreneur. The second you can get a team of people that can actually understand and think on their own and and do research where it's not just cut and dry. It's not just, oh, this person has 100 iTunes reviews. They can actually dig deeper, read some of those reviews, see what they're like on on other channels and put it together to see, hey, is this actually a good fit? The easier it's going to be. There's a good book about it, uh, the, about processes. You mentioned that before, like the E-Myth Revisited. She like tells you about like how to standardize your business and like create methods and processes so that you can actually outsource to others, whether it's uh, employees or virtual assistants or, or contractors. So I'd recommend if you're listening to this uh, episode and interested in that to, to read this book. It's pretty good for that. So the last thing you mentioned uh, in the, on the topic is this uh, like this, this notion of affiliate program, right? And that's something you mentioned, or referral program, something you mentioned, a free app that that uh, that you used to do, uh, that free app still does, but obviously you sold the business. You mentioned being keeping it simple, and so do you have any other advice there, like in order to set it up? Because if let me share, make sure I understand properly, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong. So you would have an, a referral program that would give something uh, to someone in return for them. Uh, selling your stuff or like promoting your stuff. So let's say they promote free up, someone sign up through their link and they get something in exchange. They might get, I don't know, like 5% for life of the cost of the business or whatnot, right? Right, exactly. And whatever that is, and, and I would even test it and, and give yourself some wiggle room too. And, and we did this, we do this all the time with different businesses and I advise people to do this. But let's say your affiliate program is 
10%. Well, if you land that tier one influencer, give him 15%, give offer 20%, whatever that is that's higher than everyone else. And, and that's going to kind of give you an in. If you're giving everyone the top that you can possibly give someone, that doesn't give you a lot of wiggle room. So you can have different levels of partnerships. Hey, these people are just a blog post every six months. This person is a top influencer that I'm going to give the biggest referral money to and, and make it actually worth their while to continue to promote in front of your audience. And I'll even keep track of it. So I've had people that out of the blue, they, they just became a really good affiliate partner. Like sometimes you go on a podcast and you think it's going to be great and it's not, and you don't get any sales. And then sometimes it's the opposite. You go on a small podcast, but those 200 listeners are active and involved and same thing with influencers. So let's say that someone pops out of nowhere and they're becoming a really good affiliate partner. Let, reach out to them, set up a call, be like, Hey man, like I saw that you're crushing on affiliates. Like, what are you doing? What can I do to support you? Can I get you a page? Can I get you more information? What if I double the, this referral per this referral code? So every time you go on a podcast, you drop our name, like build, take that, those partnerships to the next level and build on them and make it a win-win for them and for you. Yeah, that's really interesting. So thanks for sharing all of this. I haven't come across most of the tactics you mentioned there and the strategy in, in, in general. Uh, as I said, I think it takes a lot of patience to do this. And in my opinion, that's what is good. Like good marketing starts from that. It takes a while, it takes a long time to build relationships and therefore it takes a long time to do marketing right away. So thanks for sharing this and like well done on your success so far, what you've done. Uh, and thanks for sharing your knowledge as well. Um, I have two more questions. I have one quick thought off that that just kind of popped in my Go head. Ahead. So last year, FreeUp's Facebook page got blocked, which sucks, right? Like that, we tried everything to get it back. I don't think the reason that it was taken down was legit. But at the end of the day, it didn't really affect business that much. And that's because all these referral partners just kept referring people. But if you have all your eggs in one basket, if you're constantly getting leads from Facebook ads, well, if, if Facebook changes that algorithm or shuts down your page, or, or I know a, a good influencer right now that's locked out of his Facebook account, your business can just stop and halt. So getting a lot of people that really like you to constantly promote you it's pretty tough to, to for a competitor to come in or for some algorithm to change to just knock you off your porch. So if you if you do it the right way and you have that long-term vision and you're growing it organically, th those things are a really good foundation for a business that, hey, you have that foundation, now let's run ads. Now let's experiment with other stuff that can get us higher faster. But if those things fail, you still have that great foundation. Yeah, that's probably one of the most probably the, the number one insight you shared on this podcast, to be honest, because when you think about it, it's like if you have 250 partners and 250 people you can rely on, it's actually 250 baskets with an egg in each, you know? And if you remove 10 of them, it's fine. You're still fine. And I very much like that because yeah, if Facebook decides to change the algorithm and, and, and prevent you from running ads, if Google changes the algorithm and prevent you from showing up in the first top results and you only rely on that, that's it. You're done. So, that's a very, very good point, and it's something people need to consider. Uh, and it's not going away, right? Let's let's be very clear about this. Whatever the channel, this is not going away. This is relationship one one, marketing one one, building building uh, relationship, building value. Like that's that's just never going to change. So you can rely on that for the next five, ten, fifteen years, uh, fifty years even. Uh, what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 
five, 10, 15 years. How to just talk to people. I mean, we live in an age where you can hide behind a computer. I'm guilty of that. I'm sure you're guilty of that, but nothing substitute from actual just conversations with people, getting to know people, offering to take someone out for dinner, for lunch, for coffee. And I, I think some people might go the opposite extreme where they're so caught up in the networking that they're not actually getting stuff done in their business. But those relationships are what take you from one business to the next. I, I just sold free up. We're working on outsource school. Well, I have all these relationships that I've built over the last four years that they somewhat carry over. And when I went from Amazon to free up, I had, I had nothing there. Amazon owned everyone's email. I wasn't building a relationship with customers. It was B2C, not B2B. So completely different environment. Those relationships are, are never going away. And they're also going to keep you up to date on what's working and what's not working. If I, I've had people that will reach out to me and say, hey, by the way, here's something that I just learned. Like, I want to share it with you because you shared something with me back then that worked for them. You're going to stay up to date on what's working. You're going to get those hacks, those secrets ahead of other people. And if you jump around from business to business, those relationships come with you. Before I let you go, what are the top three resources you recommend our listeners today? Yeah, good question. Um, so, so networking events, when I saw that question, networking events is my my research. And, and I would go to find the biggest conferences, go to Funnel Hacking Live, go to um, Prosper, which is the biggest Amazon conference, whatever your industry is, and try to get yourself an invite to every single networking event that you can go to. That's where the, the biggest players are going to be, mostly your ideal clients, where you're going to have a much more intimate, intimate surrounding and setting that's where I would focus my time is those networking events. And I feel like those get overlooked so much or people are so tired from going to the conference all day. To me, I'd rather show up at half a conference and go to the entire networking event. Um, but that could also be a, a personal preference. Um, other tools, I follow, follow like the, the micro influencers, see how they're doing it, see how they're rallying hundreds and thousands of people because a lot of a lot of people get caught up in that like the Gary V world where you're on LinkedIn eight times a day and you have this huge content team. Like that's just not realistic to what most small businesses are doing. But if instead of dissecting those huge influencers, the Grant Cardone, the Gary V's, focus on the smaller ones, the people who are running a thousand person Facebook group, but that group is active, that group is buying, that group would refer that, that owner to, to anyone. If you focus on the people that are more in line with what you can realistically achieve with your business, that's you're going to get to that level. And then, yes, you can eventually become the Gary Vee. I'm not saying you can't do that, but you got to start somewhere. And if you can't if you can't grow a Facebook group or, or establish a community of 100 people or 1,000 people, there's no way you're getting up to that level anyway. So networking event, that's one. What other resources would you recommend? Yeah, the, I'll, I'll say the micro-influencers are, are, are two. Two, fair enough. <laughs> um, three, three things, all around marketing or not necessarily? Not necessarily, whatever you want, man. Cool. Um, Built to Last is a really great book that, that I read. And this is the, why I, I like that book. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they're in the mentality that if you're not charismatic, if you're not an extrovert, if you can't go on a podcast, if you can't talk about your business and, and motivate people, that you can't grow and, and scale a business. And that's just not true. There's plenty of companies that have been around for 100 plus years, people who have gone through multiple CEOs that were not all extroverts, not all high energy, not all charismatic. And 
and they survived. And that book really makes it breaks it down to what those companies did that other companies didn't. And it's it's not really what you think. So if you if you are listening out there and you kind of heard everything I talked about, and you're like, hey, you can't, I can't, I can't go on a podcast. I'm too scared. I'm too nervous. I, I encourage you to get out of that mentality, but also know that you don't have to be that high charismatic person in order to actually grow a successful business. Yeah, I second that excellent book. And I love the fact that it's based on actually real research for years and years uh, instead of just coming up with a method. So it was a very good book. Need to reread, uh, reread it again. Uh, so Nathan, you've been a pleasure. Uh, seriously, thank you for sharing all of those insights that you've, that you've gleaned over the years. I'm pretty sure that you'd like to say something to our listeners or where they can find you and what they should do next. Yeah. So I'm really excited about my new venture outsource school. If you go to outsourceschool.com, you can join our newsletter. You can get a free case study on how we grew a business from $5,000 to $12 million a year with very little ad spend organic with no U S employees and only 35 full-time VAs in the Philippines. And, and from there we're launching our first course, our IOTA method, IOTM, IOTM stands for interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing. We're going to teach you how we interview VAs, how we onboard them, how we motivate them and get them to buy into the company and keep them around for years to come. And we really feel like it's going to benefit the entrepreneurial community. And we're excited about that. You can also follow me, Real Nate Hirsch, on Instagram and Twitter, Nathan Hirsch on LinkedIn and Facebook. I'm pretty easy to contact and I love networking with other entrepreneurs. So feel free to reach out. Thanks, man. I can see that you're your closing uh, statement uh, is pretty well uh, rehearsed and, and so well done on this. Very clear. Thanks so much, man, once again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always unsubscribe for sure, if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet, and we always uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing i like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on itunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five-star review it means that more people would be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much. 
for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.